You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, welcome to the MLB Extras Mets podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Anthony DeComo. A week ago on this podcast, Anthony, we had our fingers crossed that the trade would at least be delayed a little bit as we speculated about the Cano and Diaz trade coming to the Mets. And they did it. They held on a few days for us. So that podcast actually had some legs. So now we're back at it. We'll look back on that trade a little bit, but more Importantly, I think we'll look ahead to what's next, including some catcher rumors that are out there and what to do with the rest of the roster. So let's get into things. We'll start with the trade. I guess my one question from you is just an opinion question. They get Cano, they get Diaz. This trade has been dissected by everyone on earth in the baseball world at this point. They give up some prospects. Just in your mind, your gut feeling, do you feel like this trade, looking at it objectively, is fair for both sides, or do you think one team got an edge? Well, I think it's fair for both sides in the perspective that the Mets okay. got better for 2019, and the Mariners clearly got themselves a couple of really good young players in, in Kalanick and, and Justin Dunn. Um, is it absolutely fair trade in that both sides had equal value? I don't know. I, I would kind of give the edge to the Mariners just because of the young talent that they got back clear, clearly there in rebuilding mode. And uh, they got themselves, particularly in Jared Kalanick, a prospect who in a couple of years could be a, a top 10 in baseball. And he's 19 years old. Who knows? That prediction could easily blow up in my face and, and we'll see. Uh, but it's a lot to give up for a, a 36-year-old and a relief pitcher. However, the Mets, as I mentioned at the outset, clearly got better. Uh, if they were coming off a 90-win season, the Mets, I, I would say this is a fantastic trade for them because the, then all of a sudden Edwin Diaz is a piece that could put you over the top. Robinson Cano, you know, you don't have to worry about the future. You you uh, can be reasonably confident that he'll be productive in 2019. As it is, the Mets are coming off a fourth-place finish. This move by itself is not enough, and they know that. I think that was clear. So it leaves to me... Uh, a lot of questions about you know where this move ultimately winds up falling within the context of their offseason. And we'll see. You mentioned uh, other needs, outfield, catcher. Uh, they still need to, to flesh out that bullpen, and not just flesh out, but get another at least one impact arm in that bullpen. So they're far from a complete team. This is not a cherry on top type of trade. This is just move one in an offseason that, that figures to be very, very busy for the Mets. Yeah, indeed. And Brody Van Wagner wanted to make a splash, and he certainly has done that with this trade. Let's hear from Brody after the announcement introductions of the players. He spoke a little bit on MLB Network. Let's hear from him on where he sees the rest of this offseason headed. We'd love to get better offensively. You know, clearly there's a right-handed uh, need in our in our lineup. You know, I've talked at length about Peter Alonso's development, and he we're counting on him to be a part of that. But the goal would be to get to get some more, more right-handed pieces that help us, or create you know right-handed and left-handedness from switch hitters that may exist out there. And then we definitely want to add some more bullpen help. And then if we can get better defensively up the middle, behind the plate, and/or in center field, you know, to to complement Lagaris and and help uh, help carry some of the lows 
so he's not the only guy having to play out there in center field. We'll, we'll look to do that, and hopefully we can do it quickly. So like you, uh, same spots there, right-handed bat, bullpen help for sure. Now the big rumor that since he said those statements on the network, the big rumor that's kind of popped up here, Anthony, has been JT Realmuto, uh, the Marlins' great catcher. You could argue he's maybe the best catcher in baseball right now coming off of last season. Uh, the Marlins have said they don't want to trade him, and their asking price is going to stay sky high, but yet we continue to hear rumors and I had Joe Frasaro uh, on the Marlins podcast yesterday, and he has actually swung from there's no way they're going to trade him to there's too many teams involved that they won't, and he thinks the deal gets done. How likely is it that the Mets could be the team to swoop in and get Real Muto? I don't know if it's particularly likely, and because of that reason you just said, there are a ton of teams in on him. And you know, unlike, say, the relief market, where the Mets didn't have to trade for Edwin Diaz because – there are so many arms out there, Kimbrell, Miller, Adovino, Cody Allen, Zach Britt. I mean, go down the list. The catching market is JT Realmuto, then a big gap, maybe a few free agents in there, Grandal, Ramos, uh, Maldonado is probably another step down. And that's about it. There's not a lot else to get. So the teams that swing and miss uh, on Realmuto, and there will be several, uh, are kind of going to be left in the cold. So uh, – Yes, the Mets will go out and they will get another reliever this offseason. They will get a right-handed bat in the outfield this offseason. Brody Van Wagenen has left open the door that the Mets won't necessarily upgrade a catcher. And that doesn't mean that they don't want to. Clearly they do. But uh, tendering Travis Darno a contract, I think, gives them a little sounder footing at the position uh, and kind of gives them an escape clause in the event that they can't get Ramlito or can't land one of their other targets at catcher. Uh I think just given the sheer volume of teams involved, given the fact that others can offer higher upside prospects than the Mets can, uh, the early rumors you hear that the Marlins need Michael Conforto, Ahmed Rosario, or Brandon Nimmo from the Mets. And if you're Brody Van Wagen and you're looking at this roster, does that make you better to, yes, shore up your catcher position with maybe the best in the game, but also open up a gaping hole somewhere else on the diamonds? to do it. Uh, it's, it, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, and I would still default to, it's probably not going to happen for the Mets to get JT Real Muto, but, but certainly is a player they're very interested in and will continue to stay interested in for as long as he remains on the Marlins. You mentioned those names and obviously they make sense because there's controllable players for some time and the Marlins are in that rebuild mode. They're going to want guys that are in the minors too. And the Mets system not as stacked as some teams, as you kind of alluded to. Peter Alonso's obviously there, but I'm not sure the Mets want to give him up. Their number one prospect is Andres Jimenez, who plays shortstop, which makes the Rosario thing kind of interesting. But it, to me, I just find it hard to see a package of multiple players that the Mets could put together that's better than what some other teams put together. But hey, who knows? And maybe the fact that they are going to or would possibly include major league ready players that have already proven themselves a little bit would would make a difference. But time will tell and um, we'll see if this is something that the Marlins want to now that maybe they're they're swinging to the side of, of making a deal, want to get it done and maybe want to get it done during the winter meetings next week in Las Vegas. Something to keep an eye on for sure. All right. Now, the addition of Robinson Cano obviously throws a wrench in things because you have McNeil, who you would thought would have been the second baseman. So now what do they do with him? Is there somewhere else you can get him playing time, Anthony, or, is, or has he become a trade piece? 
Well, he could still be a trade piece, but but the Mets have been very vocal in saying how much they like Jeff McNeil. So uh, it, it's uh, maybe that's posturing, uh, and yet he does snugly fit on their roster, particularly now with Wilmer Flores gone. I understand McNeil's left-handed, Flores right-handed, but McNeil can kind of fill that role as a guy who can start all over the diamond, as a guy who can come off the bench. So just for example, on opening day, you know, Peter Alonso, despite what the Mets front office is saying publicly, is probably not going to be on the opening day roster. You hold him down for a couple of weeks, you get an extra year of team control. That's a no-brainer. It's something you can't kind of say out loud and say publicly, but it is a no-brainer. So I'd be shocked to see Peter Alonso there. So uh, maybe McNeil gets some run at first base early in the season, or maybe Robinson Cano gets a couple of starts at first base and McNeil starts at second early in the season. The other part of this equation is, Robinson Cano is 36 years old. Uh, maybe he's capable of still playing 150 games per year. But even if he is, that's probably not the smartest operating procedure for the Mets, who would be better served giving him some days off, keeping him fresh, keeping his legs fresh and that bat fresh, maybe not starting him all the time in day games after night games. So, uh, you know, that's another way to get McNeil in the lineup. At third base, uh, you know, Call a spade a spade. Todd Frazier is coming off a, a, a underwhelming year for him after signing that two-year deal. Uh, and that's not to say he can't or won't be better, but he certainly does not have a hammer lock on that job over at third base. So I, I suspect McNeil will get some starts over there as well. Mickey Callaway even threw out the option of, of putting Jeff McNeil in the outfield. And I'm not sure that's more than a break glass in case of emergency situation. But you do see how there are opportunities around the diamond for McNeil. And then of course, injuries do pop up and other chances will surface. So uh, I guess the, the takeaway is let's not all rip our hair out and say, how could this guy who hit 330 last year, uh, you know, sixth and rookie of the year voting, how can you just stick him on the bench? Uh, sticking him on the bench does not necessarily mean he's not going to play. I, I think the Mets will certainly find ways uh, to get him in the lineup on a pretty regular basis. Teams love having super utility players these days, too. So if he could play a little outfield and add that to the, the resume, that's one more thing uh, you can do with McNeil. So the Syndergaard trade rumors, is it fair at this point with the trade for Diaz to, to solidify that bullpen that we can just put those to rest? I mean, this team is clearly going for it, and trading your number two starter is not a good way of going for it. Yeah, and they've Brody Van Wagenen and Jeff Wilpon both have, have said publicly now that uh, it would have to be some transcendent type of deal for the Mets to trade Noah Syndergaard. And obviously that makes sense. He, he's a, an irreplaceable talent. Syndergaard is. It, it would be difficult to trade him. And even if you you know get another starting pitcher back or, or sign a free agent or anything like that, it would be difficult to replace him. Uh, the Mets, if anything, uh, need to add starting pitching depth this winter. Uh, if you take Syndergaard out of that mix... All of a sudden, you're looking at DeGrom, Wheeler, Mats, and then a whole bunch of question marks. Uh, and not that other teams don't have question marks in the middle back of their rotation, but the, you know the whole point of uh, portraying the Mets as contenders is that they have this dynamic relationship. And if you take a big chunk out of it uh, to fill some other needs, then all of a sudden, your rotation is not any better than anyone else's, despite having the Cy Young winner at the top. So I, I think the Mets realize all of that. And uh, well, they're not completely closing the door, on trading Noah Syndergaard, it sounds you know almost certain that Syndergaard will be back in Flushing next season. 
One more question for you, and it's just about the division as a whole, the National League East now. I think the lone division in baseball where four teams are going for it, and those four teams so far this offseason have kind of dominated the narrative. The Nationals going out and getting Patrick Corbin. The Phillies, obviously, the the trade this week for for a shortstop and Gene Segura, and they've been in on all the free agents. The Braves are the defending division champions and should only be better. I mean, this is going to be a lot of fun next summer, Anthony. I think the Marlins are going to have a tough time competing, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's I'm not sure there's another division in baseball where you have four teams who are all clearly in go for it mode. And obviously all four are not making the playoffs. So it has the potential to be a really, you know, interesting and fun pennant race that could come down to the final weeks of the season. And the other part about it is. You know, for a lot of the past years, even in 2015, 2016, I don't know if you remember Sandy Alderson's famous proclamation, I believe in 2014, was that he considered the Mets a potential 90-win team. And that's always kind of been the benchmark that this front office has tried to achieve. 90 wins, 90 wins. If we get there, we're going to be in the mix. I'm not sure 90 wins is good enough anymore, at least not in the NL East. Uh, You know, you have all these, we're in the age of haves and have-nots in baseball teams that are going for it versus teams that are building for the future. And because of that, you kind of have, have a little bit more of a, a divergent arc where there's a bunch of teams. You see all these 100-win teams last year in baseball, and then a bunch of teams at the other end of the spectrum that you know are, are losing 100 games or at least coming close to it. So uh, maybe 90 wins isn't good enough anymore. I just think you're going to win a division or at least come close, uh, get a wild card spot. Maybe you need to be thinking more along 95 wins, something like that. Uh, you know, Jeff Wilpon at the Robinson Cano press conference said that his analytics team believed the Mets uh, went from about an 83-84 win team to about 88-90 to 90 with the trade. Uh, and as I said at the outset, you know, that's probably not good enough. The Mets still have other holes. They still need to fill pieces. If they can get themselves to a point where you're talking 93-94-95 win projection, then I think everyone would be a lot more comfortable with where the Mets are at because you can't just count on going into Philly and getting wins. You can't just count on going into Atlanta and getting wins. Those are good teams, maybe better than you right now. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting summer throughout the NL East. Yeah, and those teams beating up on each other is going to have an effect too. It makes getting the those two wild card teams even dip more difficult, although they did it out in the National League West uh, two years ago. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Follow Anthony at Anthony DeComo on Twitter. I'm there at MLB underscore McMaster. You can find all of the MLB Extras Club podcasts on Google Play, Apple Podcast, and at MLB.com backslash podcast. Next week, we'll be recording from the winter meetings in Las Vegas. Until then, for Anthony DeComo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.